Is experimentation the only path to truth, or are there other paths to learning about the truth? Today, that's what we will be discussing here at the Conversation of Our Generation, where we are solving the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. My name is Nick Jamel, the creator and host of the podcast here, and I really am excited to talk to you today about scientism and the human person and how it it really isn't as much of a view about reality as we discussed with naturalism and materialism, right? Which were those were discussions about what the world is made of and philosophical assumptions about how the world operates. Whereas scientism is more of a, I would say, a false epistemology. It is a bad way of understanding how we come to know what is true instead of asserting something that I would say is false, right? And I guess they are asserting something that is false in some sense because they're putting forward an epistemological framework that is not true. And so in that sense it is, but as far as talking about, it doesn't necessarily make descriptions of the world in and of itself. Uh, And so that's what we're going to be talking about today and some of the errors there. I just want to say if you are enjoying this series, make sure that if you missed any, you go back. There's links in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this, the work that I do here, please just leave a good rating and review. You know, just go in, leave five stars wherever you're listening to this and leave a good review real fast because that really helps with the rankings, with more people finding this podcast and growing the audience. So I'd appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to do that so that more people can find this and get involved and join the community here at the conversation of our generation. And so let's go ahead and dive in to what we'll be discussing today. So again, I'm pulling these definitions from Wikipedia because it's an easy source <laughs> to find when you just Google a definition, it generally pops up. Or I guess in my case, when you duck, duck, go a, you know, for a def- definition, cause I do not use Google, but this says, Uh, Wikipedia says that scientism is the promotion of science as the best or only objective means by which society should determine normative and epistemological values. While the term was originally defined to mean methods and attitudes typical of or attributed to the natural sciences, it says some religious scholars and subsequently many others adopted it as a pejorative with the meaning an exaggerated trust in the efficacy of the methods of natural science apply to all areas of investigation, as in philosophy, the social sciences, and the humanities. And I would say that it's not as much, uh, too much trust in the efficacy applied elsewhere, right, in the social sciences. I mean, obviously, they've tried to apply the scientific method there and failed because they cannot replicate the studies in the social sciences. Generally, you get it once and you get it opposite or different result. But in the humanities and in philosophy, science just just doesn't work. And so you can't experiment on ontological proofs. And so we're going to get into that sort of, you can't experiment on Hamlet. (laughs) And so you really can't, you kind of pull away from some of that human aspect when you try to put everything under the microscope. And that's where I think this goes wrong. And so it says, it goes on to say the term scientism is often used critically implying an unwarranted application of science in situations considered not amenable to application of the scientific method or similar scientific standards. 
And so I think that sums up a little bit of what I'm going to discuss and gives you a good high level of some of my objections. But I want to dive into that a little bit more. And before I do that, I want to start by saying why why I think it's understandable to take the scientific method and try to apply it everywhere. And the reason is science is a tremendous gift. I think there are some very valid reasons to believe that science is a very good thing. Not just very valid. There are tremendously great reasons to believe that science has helped us amazingly. I mean, it has led to incredible human flourishing. The advancements we've seen due to science allow us to live radically more comfortable lives than our ancestors. We, you know, at my age, at you know, I'm 26 years old, I'd very likely probably in, you know, 200 years ago, be married, have lost a child, maybe a wife in childbirth. I would have probably lost parent. I definitely would not have grandparents left. <laughs> I mean, just all sorts of things. And I have, you know, most of my grandparents still, both my parents, right? My, my wife is perfectly fine and healthy right now. So there's, and on top of all that, just the, that kind of suffering, I had heart surgery when I was born and I wouldn't even be alive really if it weren't for science. So I recognize the value and the tremendous gift that scientific advancement has allowed for us to have, like just the comfortable lives, but also when things are tough, like we can fix some really tough and hard to solve problems because of science. So I do not want to say that I'm undermining that at all. I think it's great where it's used, you know, and just as far as poverty goes and everything, you know, we've radically reduced the hardship because of, you know, free markets, but also because of the advancements in technology and the people it's radically and exponentially decreasing how many people are in extreme poverty and in extremely hard circumstances. So it's fantastic. Great stuff. It's also a great and reliable method for learning truth about the natural world. So it is not just useful in the sense that it leads to human flourishing and it's just a good tool for that, but it is also great for exploration of truth in certain circumstances. You know, through the scientific method, we can come to know more about the world around us. And we can do that with a common framework. So we know, you know, someone in Poland and someone in America and someone in, you know, Australia and Brazil, all those people can kind of work in a similar framework and know that, oh, when this person's doing this experiment over here in America, and I'm reading their study here in Brazil, I can take that, I know what they what they did, how, how it turned out, and I can take that knowledge and then say, oh, and I was gonna do a similar experiment, so I can take some of what they learned and use that in my experiment, and we can build on each other's knowledge. That's a tremendously, that's an amazing system that we have, <laughs> that we have a global system of inquiry about knowledge in the natural world. That's fantastic, I think it's great. And so that is just tremendous. And I think that one thing we have to remember is that if we're doing the scientific method properly, then all of science is tentative, right? And prone to change with new evidence, right? So that's another thing that we have to recognize about the scientific search for knowledge is that it, you know, 
when scientific studies come out, that's not necessarily the proof that, you know, you get when you do a mathematical proof of some sort, right? Those are, a mathematical proof is something that you can uncover, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but that's something that just is eternally true, whereas this study about, you know, how, especially, well, there's some that are more and less <laughs> concrete, but it's always subject to revision if we get more knowledge, right? If Just look at our theories of gravity, for instance, and our physics, right? You have Newtonian physics, and then along comes Einstein with Einsteinian physics, right? And we dove much deeper into the quantum world, and so we're realizing that, yes, at this level, physics works in this way. At, you know, at the macro level, right, in the universal level, not like here on Earth, physics, or physics works in a different way. Gravity acts differently. At the micro level, and by micro, I mean very micro, at the atomic level, physics acts very differently. And so, you know, you can't, we realize that you can't apply the same principles to an apple falling out of a tree as you can to galaxies colliding. And so they're a little different. And so it is tentative and it is subject to that change. The errors that I see with scientism is that one is that it lifts science, it lifts science up and the process and ignores other fields. So I think this is kind of the first one that in the Wikipedia I mentioned is that basically there's a lot of people who believe Science is the only way to come to know truth, <laughs> solidly, that you need to have evidence and experimentation, etc. And you can hear this when you talk, listen to, I think, atheists debate the idea of the historicity of Jesus or these sorts of things. They, they're, they're looking for an experiment to be ran where, you know, someone goes back in time and sees Jesus teaching, not <laughs> just like you would for any other historical figure that... <laughs> You know, historical reports show this. We have 27 books in the New Testament that attest to the fact that this man lived in some respect, right? And that he died, you know, several of them, a lot of them mention him dying and rising. And so we have several different sources, too, in those books. Now, obviously, Paul wrote like half of those books, <laughs> but there are other authors who attest to that, too. So I think that it's good to recognize that the word science originates in the word for knowledge and now it only applies to this field of natural knowledge but philosophy theology all these other you know inquiries would have been part of science in Aristotle's time for instance they wouldn't have seen these hard and fast lines between these ideas and so I would argue that a philosopher who completely disregards science and only accepts ontological proofs is missing something, right? He's misguided. If he says that the earth is flat and uses that in a philosophical proof somehow, well, then he's wrong because he, his premise is wrong and we can prove that scientifically. But in our culture, we do the opposite where we say, you, you know, we could prove the earth is round, but we can never accept any sort of ev argument from causation or from contingency that God exists, right? That can't be a way that we come to know truth through argumentation. We have to do it through evidence and experimentation only. And that is an error, in my opinion. And I would say, <clears throat> in many uh, people's opinion as well. 
And scientism, I think, is also wrong because it tries to use the tool for the wrong purposes. And so instead of using science to inquire about the natural world, sometimes we will disregard other fields of study. Sometimes we will try to push kind of pigeonhole science into these other fields, like I mentioned, about trying to, for instance, when it comes to a proof of God, right, they are looking for the same let's put it this way when it comes to discovering a species you have to have certain sightings and documentation and all of that and send that into the proper uh what are they called like proper organizations or experts and they will kind of say yep there that species exists there's a new species discovered and that's what people want for god when (laughs) they're not that's not how that really works (laughs) and and then also I think it not only does it not work, but it also sets a very high, an impossible, really an impossible to meet criteria for coming to know that God exists. And so, and also a lot of times will deny those evidences that you would see. They won't accept a miracle. They'll just explain it away or say it didn't happen. So you can't bring that. You can't bring an ontological proof. So basically you can't make any argument other than I was out in the jungle and I saw a wild god walking around and I snapped a picture. And even then, they'd probably call it a hoax, <laughs> you know, like the like big feet, like Bigfoot pictures are. So I think that that is another place where scientism goes wrong, where we try to apply this scientific method and these criteria for how we come to know scientific knowledge. And we try to apply that to other fields when those other fields have different types of arguments you have in philosophy probabilistic arguments that was very tough for me to say today probabilistic arguments as well as proofs right that are premise one premise two lead to this conclusion things like that Uh, and so science can't really doesn't really work in those fields and so when you try to apply its standards over there you go a bit awry and then another error here that I have, and this is the last one that I'll mention, is it forces us to have an ever-shifting understanding of truths. And you can see this as we talk about things like morality today, or uh, it, I think morality is one of the clearest ones, where we say you know, it changes over time, right, just like our scientific knowledge does. And yes, we can develop knowledge and build on what we've learned, but new evidence about, for instance, a species here on Earth doesn't change the fact that the sun revolves, or that the, sorry, that the Earth revolves around the sun. Got that, almost got that backwards. Uh, you know, these two other ideas, they don't really necessarily affect each other. And I think we can't, we can recognize that development of knowledge in one natural science doesn't necessarily change the other. It may, sometimes it does. And so you have to parse that out. But then with morality and ethics and places, things like that, we try to say that basically all of it is relative to the culture. And I think a lot of that goes back again to materialism and a lack of free will and saying that we aren't actually these beings that are able to direct ourselves, right? That our knowledge and our consciousness is some sort of illusion or evolutionary adaptation and it doesn't actually reflect the spirit in us 
I think that that is another part of it as well. But when it comes to things like logic and mathematics, we know that there are truths that are true in all times and places. Two plus two always equals four, whether or not there was a big bang and there was two things to add to another two things, it still would be four, right? Triangles would still have three sides, even if there was never a triangle that came about, right? And so in science, you know, this truth is gradually uncovered and theories are regularly revised. But when it comes to the Pythagorean theorem, that works no matter what, <laughs> right? It's it's kind of an, it's not kind of, it's something that will always be true in all times and places. And so, and that's because science is reflecting, is trying to study an ever-changing world around us, whereas these mathematical and logical truths are trying to understand the mind of the creator. They're trying to understand the mind of the intelligent designer of this universe, right? These That's where these truths reside. And then they become enfleshed and embodied in the natural, in the world around us. And so when science applies that understanding of all truths are subject to, uh, I, I think you can always challenge a truth and say, hey, we need to make sure that we're right about this. That's one thing. But to say that truth is always changing is wrong because there are some truths that don't change. And to say that, you know, for instance, on morality, we can never settle on, yes, this is a very solid understanding of morality, right? And we should just stick with this is to act like we haven't been, you know, in a helocentric uh, society for, you know, or believe in helocentrism for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Why doesn't why would that not be subject to revision? Well, because we have very good evidence that that's the case. Okay, we haven't seen anything counter. Okay, we can do the same thing in moral arguments as well, where we say we've gotten to this conclusion, and I have not heard anything that argues against it. You can continue to pose arguments, right? Flat earthers will continue to pose arguments, even though we've known that the world is round for like twenty five hundred years. <laughs> At least, you know, educate the educated people have. Not everyone believe that, but. That's, I think, an important thing for us to recognize. So to correct some of these, I think what we can do is to fix this, is to keep in mind that science is a tool. Science is a method for learning about the world, the natural world, and it isn't some supreme arbiter of truth. You know, we shouldn't place all of our faith in science like we see today <laughs> of trusting the science and believe in science. You know, I believe in a sci the scientific method and that it can uncover very incredible truths about the world. But I think that the people who are trying to push those and gain conformity are political actors and not actually following science a lot of times. But people who fall into this way of thinking that, you know, overemphasize the object, I guess, sorry, let me restart that. People who overemphasize science and think that it is not just a tool, but it is the arbiter of truth. I think overemphasize the objective world. They're often materialists or natural uh, naturalists, and they can't bring into conception this other part of the human person, the soul. And so they kind of fall into, they fail to account for that spiritual part. And in doing so, I think we reject a lot of what makes us humans, right? We can't say that something's beautiful because you can't prove that. It's, those sorts of things become relative because it's just 
perceptions and illusions. And then at the other side of things, the only thing we can trust is the world outside of us, the natural world. And I think that that's wrong and we should correct that. We need to recognize that it's a tool for a certain type of inquiry and that we are body, soul, composites, right? And that we are body, mind, and soul. And we need to take all that into account when we understand the entire world, both physical and spiritual. And next, I think we must not think that an epistemology that works for science will work elsewhere necessarily. Because as we've shown, you start to lead to, you start to reject some really obvious facts about the world in, if you took other like ontological proofs or things like that, if you tried to apply that science, it wouldn't work. Well, why do we think that we can take science and make that work the opposite way? Just because we've gotten some impressive human flourishing, I think we have ontological proofs that have stood for thousands of years, right? That to me seems pretty darn impressive. And those ancient peoples were building buildings that will last far longer than ours. So I think we need to hold off on, we, we've done a lot to scientifically to cure disease and all these things, but we're not that far above the people. <laughs> you know, we're not really above the people who came before us. And sure, we live longer and probably live healthier lives in some respects and others, I don't know necessarily, but we do have to realize that science has done a lot for us, but it doesn't work in all avenues. And so philosophy and math come to find truth in very different ways than science. And so we shouldn't make that mistake of needing experiments to come to mathematical truths you know, in other words, you can't find all truths in a lab, right? That's what we have to remember. Some of them have to be worked through in the academy, through argumentation, right? And so some of them have to be worked out on a chalkboard with incredibly long mathematical things that I do not, you know, equations and all sorts of symbols that I don't understand, but sometimes they have to be worked out that way. And that is just how it has to be sometimes. And so those are the two things that I think if we could get away from those, we would be much better off. And my dog is now scratching at the door. So I'm gonna wrap up and just say, thank you for listening to this episode. If you wanna support what I'm doing, definitely leave that good rating and review. Follow me on Twitter, at Gen or anywhere on social media, just search Conversation of Our Generation and you'll find me there. Uh, and if you want to help the work I'm doing, go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash subscribe. To subscribe for just five bucks a month, you get access to premium content, to my, you get my book shipped to you, and uh, you get access to the Discord community as well. So definitely check that out. Five bucks a month, really great stuff happening there. And thank you again for listening to this episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you next time.